Hey friends, Andy Jenkins again, back with another bonus episode of the podcast. Today, I want to build on the idea of the previous bonus episode. It was about really the difference between the soul and the spirit, and I'm releasing this in context with the launch of the new Freedom March five-week coaching intensive. It is designed to empower you to move forward past, beyond the hurts, habits, and hangups of your past without spending thousands on therapy, without self-medicating, without living in shame, or without resigning to the notion that this is how things will always be. I put the links to this uh, landing page on my website where you can find all the information about that course down in the show notes below. I would encourage you to take a deeper dive there and see if the course is for you. The purpose of yesterday's talk, of today's talk, of the next few that I'll release, is really to give you an overview of the types of things that we'll explore in that five-week intensive. Uh, Obviously here, we're just exploring the concept. There, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of walking out freedom, of walking out freedom from the past even freedom from some of the things that are entangling you in the present so that you can live a better present and move forward into your purpose in the future. In today's uh, release, I want to discuss, and I'm going to roll into, here's where the content comes from. It comes from video three of a 14-video course, Soul Wholeness is the name of that video course. And uh, I shot this back in the spring. In video three, which is the audio that you're about to listen to, I really discuss the idea of an undiagnosed struggle. That in order to receive a diagnosis for a mental health disorder, a mental health issue, and I and I don't even know that disorder is 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 the right word. It might be, but it it might not be. In order to receive the diagnosis, you have to really hit a lofty mark, and that's probably wise. Uh, because you don't want to just get a diagnosis and hand them out to anybody. I mean, it, it should have this high mark. But 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 because of that, and because there's also such a stigma with some of these mental health issues that we don't have with physical health issues, because of that, a lot of people tend to live what I'm referring to here, not original language with me, an undiagnosable struggle. I think it'll make sense as you listen. Let me roll right into the content. I'll be back at the end in about uh, 15, 20 minutes, and I'll give you some more information about that group coaching intensive and, and maybe see if it's a right fit for you. Either way, enjoy this discussion on undiagnosable struggle. So you might be one of those people that is dealing with the tough stuff inside the soul, as we discussed in the last video. If that happens to be you, let let me remind you of this. There there is this quote that I read several years ago when I was struggling through a very difficult season. Uh, I was reading the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the author of that book, Peter Scazzaro, he actually quotes someone else. And so this quote comes from Gerald Sitter, who was quoted in Scazzaro's book, the quickest way to reach the sun in the light of day is not to run west chasing after it, but to head east into the darkness until you finally reach the sunrise. So often our tendency is to run away from hard things. And what he's saying in this quote is, if you're struggling 
one of the best things you could do is actually slow down and not keep chasing, but slow down, pause, turn, endure the tough stuff, and then allow the sun to come and catch back up with you. Now, sometimes it's helpful to know that people actually know what they're talking about, not, not from an informational standpoint, but just because they've got the scars, the wounds, to prove it, to, to share, to show you that they've been there. So in, in page 47 of this book, I actually outlined some of the struggles that I was dealing with when I walked through um, and had to endure that dark night. I, I talk about anger, lying, financial clutter, uh, roller coaster marriage marked by as many lows as highs, fractured friendships, trust issues, d- difficulty letting people close, pride and posturing, spinning to make reality seem better than it was, foreclosures, as in I had three, bankruptcy, depression. I, I mean, you know, and I just write right here, it's hard to feel on top of the world when you live in the shadows and you safeguard and hide in the dark, keeping away from so many of the messes and things that you've created. Um, in other words, what, what I'm saying here is that I've been through the same stuff that so many people struggle with. Maybe the details are different, but in some sense, we all have hard seasons. And if that is you, my encouragement to you is to continue pushing forward because healing will, though it sounds so simplistic to just say it in the moment, healing can and it will come. Here's the first of three points in this video. The first one is this, life is beautiful and life is hard. And somehow we need to acknowledge and own that tension that in life there's so many things that we wish we didn't have to deal with and there's so many beautiful joys that we absolutely love. And the hard stuff does not negate the joyful times and the joyful things do not negate the hard times. You can hold and walk all of these together in tension. In fact, it's healthy to acknowledge that both exist. For a long time, I, I, I couldn't do that. I created this false scale for myself. In fact, I'll put it on the screen and I'll show you what I'd done on the scale is on one side, I had kind of labeled things as imperfect. Now, I never really drew the scale until after I walked through it and found some healing. But in my mind, this is just how things worked. On one end of the spectrum, things were imperfect. And on the other end of the spectrum, things made me valuable. So if if any amount of imperfection existed, it really kind of drew me towards that unhealthy side of the scale to where I felt less valuable. So when I'm enduring a tough season, it did not matter how many other great things are going on in my life, uh, I felt that tug towards imperfection and that meant I felt as a person less valuable. I had staked my identity on where I was located. And the truth is where you are isn't who you are. Where you are just happens to be the location. And sometimes if you're going through a great season, that's not even who you are. If you're going through a hard season, that's not who you are. The other problem with this is those aren't even accurate opposites anyway. You see, I'll put it on the screen here for you. The opposite of imperfect is not valuable. The opposite of imperfect is perfect. Everything can be some degree of perfect or imperfect. Any situation that you endure, anything that you have, any job that you do, any movie that you watch, any book that you read, any meal that you cook, everything can be on this scale of perfect to imperfect, not imperfect to valuable. The opposite of worthless is valuable. 
And some things are worthless and some things are truly <laughs> valuable. But we need to understand that we don't get to rewrite our own dictionary, especially when it involves soul health and wholeness. And so here's, here's the conclusion that I came to, is things can totally be falling apart in life and be imperfect, and at the same time, you can still be very valuable. So a couple years ago, because of some of the stuff that I just mentioned, life was falling apart. It was coming unzipped quickly, and during that season, um, I decided that I was going to take a psychiatric evaluation. There were a couple reasons for that. Number one is I thought something might be wrong with me. I thought I'd endured that much emotional stuff and clutter that I thought that it might all just be me. And if, if it was, I wanted to get health and healing from that. Uh, if it wasn't me, and it was just tough situations and just bad hands that I was dealt, I wanted to know that as well. Either way, I was determined that I was gonna move forward. And so I went in and I took the MMPI. It is hundreds of questions and you take the test in pencil and you pay a lot of money to do it. And then you meet with the psychiatrist one-on-one uh, -on -one, and they interview you and they talk to you about what they found. And through discussing this with Jeff, he's a, he's a doctor, so I, I should refer to him as doctor and by his last name. He told me a few things. The first is that test, the MMPI, it tests for multiple personality disorders and health issues, mental health issues. Um, so it'll test and tell you if you're a narcissist or not, uh, if you're a hypochondriac or not, uh, if you're a kleptomaniac, you, you know, not, if you're dishonest or not. And, and it has so many little variables listed in there that it can even tell if you're being defensive and lying when you take the test. In, in other words, it's really clever. So we're sitting down, uh, finally, after I take the test, and we work through my assessment. And he tells me um, uh, all about me in very gracious and tender language. I, I write about it in the book. But, but, but he tells me this that is super helpful. He says, psychiatric disorders, that, and that's what they call them. He said, psychiatric disorders aren't a yes-no type issue. Now, in order to be diagnosable, there is a threshold that you have to pass in order to qualify for the diagnosis. But most people that are walking around in the world wouldn't qualify for a psychiatric diagnosis. However, everything falls on a sliding scale, just like I put on the screen right there. So even though you have to score a certain score, or hit a certain measure to be diagnosable. In this case, let's just say there's, there's 10 marks across our spectrum, and you have to be a 10 out of 10 on the unhealthy extreme to be diagnosable. Well, in Jeff's words, he said, what if you're a nine out of 10? Does a nine out of 10 mean you wouldn't benefit from some emotional health? Um, what, what, what if you're an eight or a seven? or six, or even a five. What if you're halfway not healthy in this area? You see, if one of my lungs wasn't working and the other one was working great, I wouldn't say, well, that's good enough. I've got the other lung. Or if my arm was just slightly fractured, I wouldn't want to go through life with like a 90% good arm and go, well, the, you know, 90% of the bones are fine. Let's just, but sometimes when we come to the area of emotional health, we don't see things the same way. 
Just the fact that you're not diagnosable for cancer doesn't mean you're healthy. It just means you're not diagnosable for cancer. Do you see? And he said, maybe we should approach emotional health in the same way and realize that we all fall somewhere on the spectrum and we would all benefit from soul wholeness, from improving just a little bit in some specific areas. Well, as a result, here's what happens. Since people aren't diagnosable and since they don't fall on that spectrum and since they don't look at things like, hey, I would still benefit even if I'm not diagnosable, it means this. A lot of people uh, have what would be termed an undiagnosable struggle. And sometimes that is a struggle of which they're even unaware. And just by knowing that, it suddenly gives them language and freedom to move forward. You see, because you can still be affected without a formal diagnosis. You see? Let me show you point number two. Point number two is this. There are at least four ways to deal with hard. Again, remember the first point was life is beautiful and life is also hard. And that hard is because so many of us are struggling. We are not diagnosable, but we're still struggling. And because we're not diagnosable, we don't know what to do about it. So we get to this point number two. There are four ways at least to deal with hard. Several years ago, I was with one of my boys and we had gone to meet with a counselor. And she was using this analogy that was just extremely helpful. Uh, she had in her hands an imaginary balloon. And she said, imagine if you just keep blowing this balloon up. You keep blowing and you put more stuff in it, more wind and more pressure. She said, that, that's what's going on with you. That's what's going on with your son. He is at his stress limit. Your wife is clearly above hers. And if you keep putting air into this balloon, at some point, one of three unhealthy things are going to happen, and they happen to people all the time. So she said, option number one is this. Option number one is some people just explode. You put enough pressure into that balloon, it just explodes, and it comes out in the form of this angry outburst. Um, too much pressure, the balloon explodes, too much pressure, people explode. The result is a lot of times they feel like they've dealt with the real issue, but they haven't. It's just a temporary explosion. This is why guys a lot of times just yell and get angry, and then we feel like, I got that off my chest. Well, you still have to deal with the deeper issue. In fact, in the anger and in the outburst, you might have scared a lot of people. You might have caused a lot of other emotional clutter for others that now you got to deal with. Option number two is this. You, you can let that balloon get full and then let out some air just by squeezing the top. Like you don't want to let a lot of stuff out, so you just let a little bit out, and it causes this shriek, this shrill, this nerve-wracking grinding, like bringing your fingers down on a chalkboard type of... The result is you control everyone with your temperament, setting them constantly on edge. Why? Because there's too much stuff, too much air in the balloon, and some of it's leaking out. It's shrilling, it's squeaking. A lot of people do that. That's unhealthy. Another way that you can deal with things when they're unhealthy and hard is you just let go of the balloon and it just blows off. Immediately, the air leaves, it just flies off and it disappears. Now, the result of this is it's kinder than an angry outburst, but it has a similar result. You think that you've dealt with it because you've hidden, you've escaped, but really, you haven't. And people do these three scenarios all of the time. Why? Because life is beautiful and life is hard. And so often, because we're undiagnosed, which is going to be most of us, 
We don't have a healthy way to deal with it. So we choose one of those three. The healthy option would actually be to realize, hey, this balloon is getting too full. I need to gradually let some space out. I don't need to push to the limits. I need to invite in some margin. I need space to flex. I need space to weather increased pressure. So when increased pressure comes, I don't fall into the unhealthy three alternatives. Now, again, because it's undiagnosable struggle, a lot of us, um, don't ever face this issue. We just go through life unaware that we're, uh, we're exploding, go through life unaware that we're shrieking shrilly, and we go on, uh, unaware that we're kind of blowing off. And part of that is twofold. Number one, ignorance. We just don't know. And part of it is sometimes we're afraid to face reality. A couple years ago, I met with a counselor. <laughs> I was invited in uh, by my wife, and the counselor said, how are you feeling today? And I told her, I said, I, okay. And she looked at me and said, okay, it's not one. How, how are you feeling? And I said, I, I don't know. I'm doing all right. And she said, well, well I don't know. I'm all right. Like that, that's not one either. How are you feeling today? And, and, and by that time, I'm like thinking, okay, I'm really perturbed is how I'm feeling now. I'm frustrated is how I'm feeling. I, I didn't tell her that. I just kind of keeping my cool, like going like, uh, what does she mean? How am I feeling? And then she handed me this card, very similar to what I'll show you on the screen right there. And all these different feelings were grouped uh, and sorted together, kind of clustered based on similarities. And when I looked through that, I realized that I had felt a lot of those things before in my life, not all of them, but I never had language for it. And by looking and seeing, oh goodness, there, there's, there's one. Oh, there's one, there's, there's another. There's, by suddenly having language for it, it gave me labels to kind of sort how I was feeling in the moment. Here's, here's my point. I wasn't only afraid of facing how I was feeling, especially when it was, quote, a negative feeling. I was afraid of facing negative feelings, and I was just kind of ignorant to the whole idea of emotional health because I was unsure about feelings in general. That leads us to point number three. Point number three is we won't progress as a person beyond our ability to deal with the hard because at some point, we're all going to struggle. And at some point, for the vast majority of us, it's going to be undiagnosable. Now, back in my story, when I grew up in the church, I, I remember that they had this little tract. A tract is a brochure that's designed to tell people about Jesus. And inside the tract, it had a picture of this train right here. I literally pulled this graphic from that tract, the, the Jesus brochure. And it was labeled fact, faith, Feeling. And, and the author of the brochure said something like this, our engine is the facts. The facts are what are important. And on some days you rely on the facts and the data. You won't always feel saved is what he was saying, because the feelings are just the caboose. The feelings are uh, at the end and the feelings aren't really important. Now, in my little kid mind, I thought, well, yeah, some days you feel great. Some days not so much so. Yeah, that makes sense. Facts are important. I don't think the author was intending to make the argument that you could take or leave the caboose. I mean, I see trains driving around through my neighborhood all the time without a caboose. But in some sense, I think that's where we've taken things. 
We need the facts. The facts are important to any area of life. Faith, I don't know, but feelings? And as a result, we ignore the feelings, but you can't, you can't ignore them like you still live out of those feelings, especially when you try to bury or hide or are ignorant of them. In other words, the best thing that you can do is to be self-aware of them. The author Peter Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he said, we all have all of these parts of us and all the parts of the whole matter. We have social parts of us. We have a spiritual part of us. We have a physical part. We have an intellectual part of us. And we have an emotional component that's important. He says that the issue is so often when we struggle in any of these other areas, when we struggle in any of those areas, it is easy to notice and easy to see. It says, for instance, if somebody physically has an unhealth, if they've broken their arm, they wear a cast, and it shows us that, hey, they've got, a, a, they've got something they need to deal with. If they come in in a wheelchair, we know, hey, there's something physical. And generally, when we see somebody that has some kind of physical unhealth going on, we make concessions and we go out of our way to help them. We do the same thing with spiritual uh, issues and spiritual concerns. People who have uh, spiritual hurts and pains and questions, they generally ask questions and they seek the help of pastors or they ask and make comments in Bible studies or at church. And we help people in that area. Intellectually, we know that if someone has uh, Alzheimer's or Tourette's syndrome or some intellectual struggle, maybe the IQ, they just can't put things together uh, as other people. Like we go out of our way and help. The same is true in social and relational settings. You probably have one awkward family member that says things inappropriately, and you know, hey, let's just kind of make concessions and work around that. You see, all these other issues sometimes, when we have a weak area, they're obvious. We can't hide them, and so we own them. The problem is so often emotional things. They are not obvious for a season, or we can cover them up, or we can uh, spin it and say somehow, and even confuse and trick ourselves that, hey, it was just a no-win situation, everything was just pressing down on me, and so we often don't take ownership of emotional issues, of soul issues, as we do with physical, with relational, with intellectual, with other types of issues. And the truth is, in the same way that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, so also are we. We will not excel as people beyond our ability to be physically healthy and whole, mentally healthy and whole, emotionally, spiritually, relationally connected. Our whole parts are all important. Now, as it relates to this one from emotional quotient, I remember speaking to some of the men at Advance 10.0, and I was talking about soul wholeness, uh, for that brief moment. And, and I read some statistics to them that speak to why this emotional health part is super important. When I was reading the book Emotional Intelligence 2.0 a couple years ago, and this is on page 76 of the Soul Wholeness book, I came across these stats. People with the highest IQ levels, so highest intellectual levels, outperform those with average IQ only 20% of the time. You think the smartest person in the room is always going to excel the most, but what they're saying is no, that's not true. Average IQ people outperform high IQ people 70% of the time. Um, It's interesting to me because typically when we grade people in school, we grade based on IQ, which is your ability to assess and assimilate new information. 
And they say your IQ, it's a relatively unchanging number. I mean, it may flex a little bit, but it, it doesn't radically grow over time is what they say. I don't know if I agree with that or not. When we ask people how they did on tests or how they did on their report card, we always look at IQ-related assessments. Yet here, the data shows that people with average IQ outperform high IQ people most of the time. Um, they also... Studied to see who were high performers in their fields. 90% of high performers have high EQ, emotional quotient. 20% of low performers have high EQ. In other words, a greater predictor of success tends to be our ability to deal with hard stuff, to walk through in an emotionally healthy way. People with high EQ, emotional quotient, make more money too. An average of $29,000 more per year than people with low EQ across all trades. In fact, they gave this test in Emotional Intelligence 2.0, and in the test, every point that you make accounted for about a $1,300 uptick in salary across all fields. So the greater predictor of success, again, emotional quotient, in fact, th this is a quote, it's the single biggest predictor of performance in the workplace and the strongest driver of leadership and personal excellence. In other words, to summarize what we've just learned, life is beautiful and life is hard. It's going to be difficult at times. Jesus actually said, in this world, you will have trouble. Well, there are multiple ways, unhealthy ways, we can deal with the hard, and there are healthy ways we can deal with the hard. And it's so important to learn to deal with the hard because as point number three says, we won't progress as a person beyond our ability to deal with that hard. But when we grow in the area of our soul, when we grow in emotional intelligence, it empowers us to be better us's. And a better you and a better me makes for a better family, a better workplace, a better neighborhood, and that all makes for a better world. This is an area that we can and need to get right. There you go. I hope that helped make sense of it all for you. Uh, the big question here is, is the Freedom March group intensive coaching program for you? I've put a link in the show notes again to where you can take a deeper dive and learn more uh, about that. And that's even where you would purchase access. Uh, we're beginning the first round of this November the 22nd. So it's coming quick. You got to act now. Uh, and again, I'll do it at some point in the future. A uh, question, is it is it for you? Here's, here's what I would say is you don't reach your 30s, 40s, or even your 50s without bumping into the reality that life is both beautiful and it is difficult. And many times in the difficulty, there's pain involved. Uh, sometimes crisis, it happens because of the choices we make. Other times it occurs because of something others do. Either way, you and I get to decide to move forward in freedom. And so there may be an undiagnosable struggle but what I'm saying is there doesn't always have to be. That doesn't have to be a permanent situation. Uh, most of the people that I interact with in a resources like this have about three things in common. Let me, let me give them to you as I close out here. Number one is trauma and crisis. So something has happened. It might be big, it might be small, but it knocked you off balance either way. Most of the time, if we really look back, we see that it's a series of things sometimes even disconnected events, but just a pile on of stuff 
that has occurred. It, it would be the equivalent of me saying, hey, can you can you hold 50 pounds? Yeah, well, sure. Well, if you can hold 50 and it's a struggle, if I hand you a 10-pound weight, that would be easy. But then if I hand you another 10 and then another 10 and then another 10 and then another 10 and another 10, all of a sudden you, you have this series of things that are more weight than the original struggle would have ever been by itself, which would have still been difficult. Um, here's another factor that some people have in common is faith. So even though there's been crisis or trauma, there's still faith. You still have it. It might be hidden. It might need to be reignited, but it still matters to you. And the struggle for many of the people with whom I interact is this. If we're honest, we expected something different from life. And it becomes hard for us to reconcile the goodness of God, which we still believe in, with the reality that we're living. That leads me to the third point, uh, which is is hope. You, you might have resigned yourself to the notion that the best days are behind you uh, and that on the other side of heaven. But you still believe, maybe even against the odds and what you can observe, that all things still do work together for the good. That That's Romans 8.28. And so you, you still have this hope this goal to walk in true joy, to experience a rich depth, a full satisfaction, and you might even want to help others with the hope that you have that somehow may contradictorily in your mind not even make sense, yet it makes all the sense in the world right now. You might even want to offer them a roadmap to walk through their hurts, their pains, once you find your way through. So if that's you, if you're ready to begin your freedom march, your journey forward, even against the so-called odds, if you're ready to live with a heart that's made whole, scars and all, ready to experience healing, uh, sure, if a miracle happened in this area of soul health and you were instantly free of guilt or shame or a soul tie or a lingering wound from past trauma or PTSD or even PTS, that would be great, but miracle or no miracle, you're wanting to move forward. If that's you, then I would invite you to join the five-week program. We're going to discuss how to deal with pain without denying it, without sweeping it under the rug, without tossing it in the closet. We're going to discuss how to live forward, even transforming the biggest problem areas of the past into the strongest platforms, which become stepping stones for the future. We are going to discuss, like I said earlier, how to overcome the hurts, habits, and hangups of the past without spending thousands on therapy, without self-medicating, without living in shame, or without resigning to the notion that this is how things will always just be. Um, if that's you, follow the link down in the show notes, and I would love to see you join me in that journey. Uh, if not, keep enjoying the free content that's pushing out. You are certainly welcome here, and I enjoy teaching all of you either way. Let me sign off. I'll have another dose coming. In the, in the next bonus episode, I'll tell you, we're going to talk about triggers. We're going to talk about PTSD, and we're going to talk about how somehow that can trap us and create this flywheel of expectation that pushes us in the wrong direction. But when we get it right, and we walk in healing, it can push us in a healthy direction. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, jump on the next episode. My prayer as I sign off is that the Lord will bless you 
He would keep you. He'd be gracious to you. He'd shine his face of favor upon you and that you would even now see the hope of a better future, the hope of soul wholeness, the hope of healing in this emotional world, not at some distant point off in the future, but that you would see the empowerment of the Holy Spirit coming to deliver that to you now. Grace and peace. I'll see you again soon.